0: You know, getting the diagnosis was a huge relief because I, honestly, I thought I was just not aging very gracefully. Um, I would tell people, I'll probably live to 85, but I'll be grouchy the entire time because all these little things were wrong with me and I couldn't sort it out. So just mentally, the relief of knowing that there's a name for what's been going on and there's a treatment for it, it's been been life-changing. This is the
1: James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Dr. Yvonne Efebera. Yvonne is a leading expert in multiple myeloma, a rare cancer that forms in the plasma cells. In a previous episode, Yvonne's colleague, Don Benson, filled us in on the great advances being made in the treatment of multiple myeloma. Yvonne is also the director of the new James Comprehensive Amyloidosis Clinic, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks for joining us, Yvonne.
2: Thank you, and happy to be here.
1: In the second half of the podcast, we're going to meet one of Yvonne's patients, Pat Jordan. Pat was diagnosed with amyloidosis and treated by Yvonne in the clinic here at the James, and she's doing really well. But first, Yvonne, fill us in on amyloidosis. I read that there are about 4,000 cases a year, and what is it? How is it different than multiple myeloma?
2: So amyloidosis is a rare disorder where uh, fibrils, um, these are called amyloid fibrils, that uh, form in uh, tissues and uh, organs. So these amyloid fibrils can uh, generally be uh, disintegrated in patients. We're able to get rid of them. But in the abnormal form... Uh, it forms a um a different uh, organization conformation and patients um were not able to get rid of that in our system and so it um uh, it deposits in um in organs and tissues with the most common um organs being uh the uh, kidneys the heart the nerves and um you know the liver but really any organ tissue the eyes the skin the tongue anything that you can think of. Um, it um, and and with these uh, deposits, it can cause um, this dysfunction uh, this, uh, of the um, of these organs. Um, in terms of the kidneys, patients can end up on dialysis. They can get heart failure, uh, liver failure, and um, and so forth. Um, so the term amyloid is just a generic term. It's very important to know what type of amyloid. It is not a cancer. Um, and um, so that's a misconception. Right. Um, there are the major three, t- the major types of uh, amyloid. The first one is called light chain amyloidosis, and that's put in the same category um, as multiple myeloma. And that's why people actually confuse it as a cancer because this type of amyloid called light chain amyloid is treated as you would treat multiple myeloma with the chemotherapy. And um, in some cases, giving patients stem cell transplant, autologous transplant using the patient's stem cells. So that's just one component of amyloidosis. The second component of amyloid is called secondary amyloidosis. And this type of amyloid is due to chronic inflammation. So patients with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, which is the most common, their risk of developing secondary amyloidosis is about, um, you know, 16 times higher than patients without uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And the most common organ in that case is the kidney. And then you have the um, another type of the secondary amyloid that is called a wild-type amyloid. Did,
1: did you say wild?
2: Wild-type.
1: Wild, okay.
2: Yeah. And the other name for that is called senile amyloid because it affects older people, uh, spe- uh, especially uh, men uh, 60 and above, and it specifically attacks the heart and causes um, heart failure. So this is something that happens sporadically, okay? So there are different, um, uh, different subsets of uh, secondary amyloidosis. Um, and the third type is called genetic amyloid or hereditary amyloid, where there is a mutation, a gene that is mutated and gets passed on from um, parents to children, so it is, um, you know, 50% risk. If a parent has the mutation, 50% chance that this mutation gets passed on to any child. Each child, okay. And, the, um, and so these uh, the most common, um, you know, organs that are affected here are the nerves um, in terms of, like, neuropathy, burning, not feeling your, your um, you know, the nerves, um, not feeling sensation. The, um, you know, the, um, the liver can be affected, the heart. And um, you know, even uh, tissues and the gut, so any really any organs. But this one is a is a genetic mutation, and all these different types are treated differently. So it is very very important to know what type of amyloid a patient has, because you don't want to treat right. <laughs> give yeah. the give the uh, you know the wrong treatment, you know, um, for uh, to to a patient.
1: Just I want to make sure I understand correctly in. All three types, you said the word you used was f- uh, f- fibroids? V- Fibrils. Fibrils. So mm-hmm. literally, does that mean fibers, little particles build up? And this build up is, although they're not necessarily cancerous, they act like cancer and just building up and blocking function and and destroying the organs. So, uh, uh,
2: absolutely. So they cause actually, um, so when you look under the microscope, you'll see these th- thin threads so they just uh, compact together and actually form thickening of you know like the heart thickening of the heart muscles, Ooh, and sense. so the heart don't function as well. The the heart doesn't relax as well um, before it pumps fluid, and so patients can have fluid yep. overload. and the and the and the muscles and the walls actually very thicken and it actually reduces the cavity of the um, of the uh, um, of the um, you know, the heart walls.
1: Which can lead to heart disease, can, heart attacks. Heart death.
2: attack and, yeah. um, you know, abnormal heart rhythm called arrhythmias, and, uh, and sudden death. And actually. then the same
1: type of thing can happen in the liver and the, the o- other organs.
2: Absolutely, in the kidneys. So the two most common um, organs are the kidneys and the heart. But in the genetic form, you know, the nerves are, you know, very, very uh, involved. And in fact, the, the nerves and the heart will be the two most common Um, involvement.
1: So I I get the sense that because this is such a rare um, disease, and again, I'm careful not to say cancer, a rare disease, and in order to understand what it is, you need to do a genetic profile of a person that perhaps 30, 40, 50 years ago, people had it and doctors couldn't diagnose it.
2: Absolutely. So the the one that we know most about is the light-chain amyloid, because those we can measure proteins in the blood. So the light chain amyloid is the one that's in the same family as multiple myeloma. So the um, proteins um, are called the light chains and those light chains are produced by the uh, plasma cells. And so we can measure those in the blood and we can see how much is being produced. And when we treat patients, we can see how much they're responding by by the labs. Um, The other types though, There are no markers, nothing to to measure by. It's really the symptoms. And so that's why those two are very, very difficult to diagnose Um, when um, patients start having symptoms. They can see, like, multiple physicians. You know, patients will say, I've been to a heart doctor. I've been to a neurologist. I've been to a kidney doctor. And they can't tell me what's going on. You know, I'm having problems walking. I'm falling down. I'm feeling dizzy. And it can take up to like three, four years by that time. You even, know,
1: even today? It can, oh, yes, because, even today. Because primary care physicians just aren't familiar with this ex- ex- rare disease. Ex-
2: exactly, okay. exactly. And, um, you know, I've had um, even um, physicians, um, you know, Google and, and call me and say, this is my first patient I'm having, you know, I don't know what's going on and i said send them over yeah
1: so educating primary care physicians is part of your job so that they all recognize the symptoms
2: absolutely so the um you know the the company especially for the um you know the wild type and the uh, familial amyloid
1: so what is the diagnostic tool to determine that someone has the these one of the three forms of amyloidosis
2: right so, um, most patients actually um, present with their symptoms, okay um, for example, the increased neuropathy and the uh, and the um, heart failure i mean so the the first thing is doing you know lab works and um, but foremost, putting amyloid in your differential, okay so if someone comes in with say heart failure, you will do um, an um, echocardiogram, an ultrasound of the heart to see if the heart is thick. If you see the heart is thick. Then you do further testing, like a cardiac MRI, to see. But also, you will do um, blood tests. You want to also um, assess for, you know, the light chains. So do the, um, you know, CBC blood count, kidney test, you know, urine test, um, um, you know, uh, the uh, labs that we do for the um, multiple myeloma, um, the uh, free light chains, and the uh, immunoglobulins. Um, but also checking the liver, just, um, you know, lab. So if you do a urine check and you see proteins in the urine, the next step will be to do a 24-hour urine to see how much protein is, is in there. And then from them on, you can move on to say, well, we need a biopsy. So the key is biopsying the, the, the tissue of or the organ to see, you know, um, it, what um, what's, um, why that organ is not performing well. And then you will stain for um, amyloid and other and other things. in the um, in the course in the um, in patients that you do this testing and um, all of them are negative, you know, especially for the blood work in terms of the um, you know the proteins that they're normal, so they don't have the light chain amyloid. You will still do the biopsy, and then with those biopsy, you will stain for the amyloid. And even with the staining for the amyloid, you want to make sure it only stays amyloidosis. You want to send for a specific test called mass spectroscopy. They will actually identify the, um, the amyloid in, the, um, in that tissue and tell you exactly what type of amyloid it is, okay? And then, um, of course, um, if it is uh, not the light chain amyloid, it is one of the other types, then if it's suggestive of um, a um, genetic amyloid, then you would do genetic testing,
1: You do genetic testing to determine if it is a genetic mutation so that that person and their family would know. Mm
2: -hmm. But most importantly, taking a family history is very, very important, okay? Um, You know, in patients who um, just having symptoms that haven't gone to see a specialist yet or, you know, doing a, a, a history, okay, you're having all these symptoms, Anyone in your family with similar symptoms, anyone having problems, falling down or dizzy, anyone have problems with heart, any of your family with nerve problem, not feeling their legs. So really, really, really important to take a family history. I can't tell you how many times I see someone with, um, you know, with, um, with amyloid the the genetic amyloid, and I ask them question, and they give me this a list of family members who um, you know have problems, who right. have symptoms, and they said no one asked me about this before.
1: Wow! So once you uh, diagnose someone with the genetic type of amyloidosis, if you are thorough, you're then you're going to find two, three, or four more people, and then they're going to know that their children also have a fifty percent chance of having it too.
2: Absolutely. So it's
1: a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. So I take it that in the past ten, fifteen, twenty years, the treatment options have uh, increased and improved.
2: Yeah, for all types of amyloid. Actually, the, the most advanced is the light chain because since it's um, very close to the multiple myeloma, and you know, multiple myeloma uh, is about forty-four. I mean. Um, uh, Twenty-four thousand new diagnoses, um, you know, a year, and so we can do a lot of clinical trials and um, uh, yeah, and uh, develop new drugs. So that that area is more advanced. So the drugs that are used for multiple myeloma, we use for the light chain
1: amyloidosis. What percentage of the people with amyloidosis have that? That kind, the one similar to multiple myeloma,
2: right? So that is the most common, and it's actually the the three thousand to four thousand new diagnoses a year. Total. Total. yeah. Okay,
1: and so the as most- compared
2: as compared to uh, twenty four thousand for multiple myeloma, the other types are even rarer. It's um, you know um, maybe about a thousand you know patients a year.
1: Wow, and and the very fact that it's so rare is why it's so hard to diagnose because physicians just don't see it.
2: I, and, absolutely. And but most important, we don't think about it. Yeah. Right.
1: But if that's why it's so important to have a clinic devoted to this like you have. And I can imagine that you and your team are are, are national and world leaders in this. And you get people from Ohio and well beyond who, who finally get that diagnosis and are sent here.
2: Uh, absolutely um you know uh, we opened the uh, comprehensive amyloidosis uh, clinic in uh, december of 2017 and um you know we started out with uh, once a month clinic now we're uh, twice a month and <laughs> we probably may go to once a week because we are having so many uh, referrals um the earlier you get them diagnosed um you know the better because if the heart is involved, the heart is there's the major risk um that's the one that causes you know early death. If you can avoid having too much heart involvement, that is the goal. You can start um you know management um you know early to so uh, treat those it
1: before w- there's too much damage to the heart exactly where it's, it's irreparable damage exactly. Okay, that's, that's a great overview. We're going to take a break, a quick break, and we'll be back with Yvonne and her special guest, or patient, Pat Jordan. And through Pat, we're going to see a little bit about the treatment and how successful it's become in recent years. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James'. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Yvonne Efebera talking about amyloidosis, a rare disease. And Yvonne, why don't you introduce us to our guest, Pat Jordan?
2: All right. So um, Pat Jordan is my patient with familial amyloidosis, the genetic type.
1: The the hereditary genetic mutation type, okay. The
2: hereditary um, genetic type. And um, I have been seeing her now for about two and a half years. And I'll have her discuss, um, you know, how she... um, her symptoms started and how she got diagnosed.
1: Thanks Pat for joining us and for for sharing your your cancer journey. We appreciate it cuz it's always good to it helps us understand the disease and the treatment by by talking to someone like you.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to help.
1: So give us a little bit of the background uh since yours was a hereditary type, what were some of the mm-hmm. family history that and problems in in your family going back, I guess, generations?
0: Well, the way the disease progresses, my diagnosis, my path has been very similar to that of other patients. I started having symptoms about 30 years ago when I lost um, feeling in my legs, the sensory nerves, not the motor. I could still walk okay.
1: But you had numbness.
0: I had numbness, and I noticed... um, I would cut my legs all the time when I was shaving them, and I thought maybe I was just being clumsy. I really wasn't sure. But that gradually progressed over the years, and I would bring it up periodically to doctors, and they would basically tell me, don't worry about it. But over the years, the neuropathy progressed to the point where 30 years later, um, after having uh, a lot of neuropathy problems, which gradually – Escalated to autonomic nervous problems, Problem. problems with my internal organs. Oh, okay. Um, that I was finally able to get a diagnosis. And that's very common with hereditary amyloidosis patients, that we have the symptoms for years and years and we're actually older adults by the time it finally gets diagnosed, unless you know your family history and can get diagnosed earlier.
1: Right. And, again, that's because of what mm-hmm. Yvonne said about how rare it is. And so most right. physicians that you saw over the years never right. had a patient who had exactly. That. Wow. So what finally got you – Passed that hurdle and got you the diagnosis and got you here to the Mm -hmm. James?
0: Well, I was seeing um, a neurologist and for a lot of neurology problems, shoulder, uh, neck, arms. um, And I mentioned, of course, the the numbness in my legs. And he did um, EMG, the muscle testing. And then he sent me for many, many labs. um, And the hereditary amyloidosis, the genetic marker, showed up in the blood work. So in my case, it was different than, than the way Dr. Efebera described it. We actually started out with genetic testing.
1: So Okay. So you skipped yes. your doctor. I didn't have to go through sort all the biopsies. Of, yeah. And, yeah. So you get this diagnosis, and you learn it's hereditary. So how, what do you tell, uh, like, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Mm-hmm. And, and if you have cousins, like, <laughs> how did that, what, what, how did this vibrate through your family?
0: Well, pri- first of all, I have two children. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And they, um, they have special needs. And the first thing I did was contact the, the private neurologist. And I said, we need to order genetic testing for my children. And they are both negative. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, I was, I was quite relieved. But no, then I just contacted. I'm one of five siblings. And we were all, um, four of the five of us are, are positive for it. Even though it's a 50-50 chance of, of getting the genetic mutation, um, four of us do have it. Okay,
1: so, and and none of your siblings who have the genetic mutation had had been tested, had the genetic test. They didn't know they had this.
0: Correct. They they knew it through, I was the first one to find out. Right?
1: But had they been having the same symptoms? Mm-hmm. So again, all, so four of you throughout, for 30 mm-hmm. or more years, having neuropathy, mm-hmm. all these issues, not knowing, and all of a sudden- Mm-hmm. You have a you, not that you have a solution but you have knowledge Correct. of what's wrong with you Does, Correct. was that a helpful thing
0: to at least know what's wrong with you? For me it is for me, knowledge is power. Um, two of my siblings i I have carpal tunnel um, but have not had surgery. Two of my siblings have had carpal tunnel surgery, and that is Dr. Fbar can speak to this a little bit because that's one of the markers that they're now telling physicians to look for. Um, a lot of patients with uh, hereditary amyloidosis amyloidosis, have carpal tunnel syndrome.
1: How does that? Why is that? That that that's a common symptom.
0: Yeah. So,
2: um, <clears throat> regardless of the um, of the amyloid, the type of amyloid um, patient, um, because as I mentioned, amyloid can depe- deposit in any in any tissue or organ, and um, the uh, the nerves, because carpal tunnel has to do with the nerve, nerves, right? right? Yeah. It's a it's a nerve in your in your arm that um, you know gets swollen or impinged by tissues around. And um, same as the spine. So um, in fact, about 13 to 16% of patients who have carpal tunnel surgery or spinal surgery, studies have shown that actually um, 16% of those patients have been diagnosed, um, you know, with um, familial amyloid. Doses. In fact, when you check, when you check those, um, you know tissues from the carpal tunnel and the spinal surgery, uh, 16% will have um, amyloidosis, and then you can do genetic testing. In fact, one of the um, studies we're going to be doing is um, um, correlating with the uh, with the surgeons and the spine surgeons, the hand surgeons. That um, you know, in patients who come in for carpal tunnel surgery. Or spine, or uh, spine surgery to take a sample so we can check for amyloid
1: well, that,
2: that as a as a first step so you can um, you know we can get the diagnosis um, early. So I just want to mention um, you know depending on the type. So there are hundreds, <laughs> more than hundred type of mutation in genetic amyloid. Mm-hmm. So depending on the mutation that you have, the symptoms you know are different.
1: Oh, so, so there's patient not one genetic mutation that
2: causes ex- this exactly hu- there are over, hundred, a hundred, over a hundred over a hundred types of genetic mutations so um, one mutation a patient can have actually more neuropathy than heart problems okay. another mutation a patient is more prone to having a heart problem than the nerve problem okay some patients will start first with nerve and then it progresses to heart and some patients, the heart, um, you know, um, um, uh, symptoms start before or um, with milder uh, neuropathy. So it all depends on the mutation. Some patients have an overlap, but major, um, you know, will have um, symptom will be um, of one major organ and less of the others.
1: So in Pat's family, the mutation was was centered on the nerves first? Is, mm-hmm. is that so, the neuro- neuropathy right, right, so. and carpal right. tunnel? and so did you, did you get your heart tested to see if it advanced there and
0: Yes. And that's one of the major goals of therapy is to make sure that the heart stays clear. Um I I've had uh, cardiac MRIs and I had another uh, newer test called a PYP scan that Dr. Faber knows about um, to make sure there are no amyloids in the heart.
1: And and your heart's doing pretty yep. good. Well, mm-hmm. oh, good knock on wood. Yeah. Okay. Know. So Pat comes to see you after this diagnosis. And uh what's what right. do you so, tell um, her and when how do
2: you um you know Pat came to see me with uh, the genetic um, mutation. Um, so and one th- of the this
1: is before the clinic started, right? Okay. This
2: is before the clinic started. Um, so one of the uh, things we do once we um, know that someone has amyloid, we, we check all the. Um, so we do a um, an ultrasound of the heart, an echocardiogram, and um, a cardiac MRI. So the cardiac MRI is a very good tool that actually looks at the thickness of the uh, the muscles and um, can actually see. If there's enhancement or probably abnormal deposition in the heart muscles, and can give you an idea that says, well, the heart is involved, and the um, and uh, we also, um, you know, um, we, we we can if uh, if there's enlargement in the liver based on the labs, we will do ultrasound um, of the liver. But the heart is the is the is the major, and then we do EMGs you know, um, electromyogram uh, to, to look at how bad the nerves are. So patients uh, get tested in the legs and the, um, and
1: the, um, and the arms. Now, in, in Pat's case, what, what did you find and, and what was the treatment option?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, fortunately, um, Pat did not have any heart involvement um, based on all the tests. But uh, in terms of, um, you know, treatment, there is really no cure for this the um the liver is the site of the mutation. A potential cure is liver transplant, but many patients you know uh do not want to do that or cannot do it because it involves a lot yeah. you know um they have to be on chronic immune suppression for the rest of their life, and uh, obviously there are risks and um, um abnormalities or infections that can um that the patients can 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 have. And also, sometimes at the time we diagnose these patients, they're beyond the age where they are eligible for transplant. So um, I haven't had a single patient that agreed to do a liver transplant. Now, uh, you can do a heart transplant um, in patients who come in with um, florid heart failure, not able to to do anything. Um, It doesn't get rid of the mutation. It slows the time to the next progression for the the heart symptoms. But, um, you know... um, it, before these new drugs, which I'll talk about, the um, you know we only had what they call stabilizers. These are drugs that can delay, you know, kind of slow the progression. The amyloid is depositing, but kind of slows the rate of the uh, of the progression. Um, and um, but most recently, the um, pharmaceutical companies have been, you know, um, amyloid is a what they call the rare disorder, and um, on. And so they're pharmaceutical companies that uh, focus on rare disorders, and um, so uh, two companies have actually, um, you know, um, developed the uh, two drugs that actually attack the uh, TTR protein, this um, amyloid um, protein, the transthyretin protein, at the level where the um, the uh, the protein that gives the message for this abnormal protein to be formed. It attacks that protein, what they call the messenger RNA. So these two drugs are called Pertiserin and inotarsin. So they're called small messenger small RNAs. So they attack that protein that gives the message for the abnormal TTR to be formed.
1: And is and is Pat on one of these two drugs?
2: Uh-huh. Huh? uh-huh. And Pat. um yeah. And um and Pat can um, you know, can 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 tell yeah. you. We we participated in in the clinical trial of one of these drugs. And, um, you know, Pat, um, at the completion of the clinical trial, they had an extended phase. Um, Pat participated in the extended phase. And um, now it's become commercial and Pat has transitioned to commercial. And she can tell you how she's feeling in terms of before and after. I'm on the one called Peticerone.
1: And how do you get that? How, how is it? injected or put it's, into your um, body?
0: It's an infusion. You get it. It goes through a vein. It takes about um, 80 minutes to infuse it, or they can slow it down if somebody has a reaction. Um, it's a drug that has very few side effects, however, so that's, oh, that's, been, that's been pretty easy to do.
1: So sort of take us through, before you went on this drug, how you were feeling, and then sort of the next week, the next month, like what's the progression of, of changes in symptoms and, and feeling better?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, for me, in, in addition to the neuropathy, not feeling my, my legs, my arms, um, my overwhelming symptom was fatigue, and I couldn't really sort it out. You know, why, why are you so tired all the time? Why are you tired after going to the grocery store? Um, after all of my nerves were involved, including things like I couldn't feel brushing my hair, brushing my teeth, um, all of my sensory nerves were So impacted. little by little over little the years. Little by little, gradually, it's, all it's of getting, my sensory nerves. You're
1: tired. You're Correct. numb. This is Correct. a difficult way and to get through life.
0: Then, well, that's just actually the beginning part, because you can still go through life without you know, being able to taste your coffee as well as, as other people. But it progressed to my um, autonomic nervous system, so it infected yeah. it. Affected things like my ability to sweat, my ability to control my body temperature, my um, blood pressure, my GI system. Um, people often get, um, uh, what's it called, hypostatic? Orthostatic hypertension. Orthostatic hypertension, where you get dizzy when you stand up too quickly. Um, and it's because you're, because of the nerve damage, your body has lost the ability to control those functions as well.
1: And so how long did it take before your symptoms started l- reducing?
0: Well, the first thing, I've, I've talked to some other patients who have this, and the, the most important thing is, first of all, you stop getting worse. Right. That's, that's, that is that's. the most critical yeah. thing. Um, because I, I was, had gotten to a point where I was sitting in my recliner chair like 80% of the day. If I had to wash dishes or run a load of clothes or go to the grocery store, it completely wiped me out. That part... I I plateaued. I stopped at that point. And gradually, very, very slowly, I started to see some improvement. But it took me over a year of paticerine infusions before I finally felt like I was starting to get back to normal.
1: When it's that gradual, I'm kind of curious, is it, it's almost like if it's that gradual, week to week, you can't, tell Correct. and then all of a sudden at some point x amount of months out mm-hmm. it's like you wake up one day or or one time and you say wow i some, i feel good for the first mm-hmm. time in a long time right. Do, do right. that what's that like when that um, happens
0: one of my siblings and i talk weekly on on the phone we don't live in the same city and we will say that um you know I smelled coffee today, or, or um, <laughs> last week my lower lip was tingling as if, um, you know, when, you, when your arm falls asleep and it wakes up and you get that tingly feeling, my lower lip was tingling. That you and never like,
1: could have feel right, before because of the neuropathy. At least not for many yeah.
0: years. Right. So gradually the nerve function is, is very, very slowly being restored because it took 30 plus years for the damage to right. occur. The last
2: time I, uh, I saw her when I went into the room, she says, guess what? I said what? She says I went to the dentist. I could fill them cleaning my teeth. It's good and it's bad. Yeah, I was going
0: to say
1: that might be the one bad thing right. if you ever have to get a filling. <laughs> you, you may not
0: want. Well, I couldn't even feel them cleaning my teeth. Wow. I mean, I could feel pressure. I knew that they were cleaning my teeth, but um, previously they had to use warm water because I had sensitive teeth. It didn't matter. You know, they could they could pretty much do anything, and I couldn't feel it.
1: Now, when so. did you start taking the medicine?
0: March 2018.
1: So you're uh, So it's year. about 16 months now. Okay, and how far, like, do you think you've reached a new plateau in terms of how good you're going to feel, or are you still gradually feeling better and better?
0: Oh, I hope it continues to be better and better. I'm assuming that the, that the misfolded proteins will continue to clear out of my nervous system um, so that I can get back to functioning like a closer to normal yeah. So this is a lifelong treatment,
2: mm-hmm. like taking um, blood pressure medicine. Because it's in the gin, you know, you can't stop treatment. So, um, so it's given, this drug is given once every three weeks. And now um, there's a, a, a second clinical trial that's actually looking at the drug given by shot on the belly um, every three months. So which will be, um, um, I mean, really, really uh, good for, uh, for patients. And hopefully they can do it at home too you know, uh, give it uh, to themselves at, at home every uh, three months. So that clinical trial is ongoing now at um, at OSU, where we, um, you know, randomize patient to the IV every three weeks or to the shot every three months. and um, And hopefully, if the shot is just as good as the IV, then everyone will be switched over to mm-hmm. the shot.
1: That would make life mm-hmm. a little easier for you. Yeah, right. So, Pat, how has your life changed after 30 years of not knowing what's wrong with you being tired, numb? I mean, how has your life changed?
0: You know, getting the diagnosis was a huge relief because I honestly, I thought I was just not aging very gracefully. Um, I would tell people, I'll probably live to 85, but I'll be grouchy the entire time because all these little things were wrong with me and I couldn't sort it out. So just mentally the relief of knowing that there's a name for what's been going on and there's a treatment for it, it's been, it's, um, it's been life-changing.
1: Wow. Well, uh, what do you do now that you couldn't do before?
0: Well, I don't think we're really at that point yet. It's more like where, where was I 30 years ago? Wow, you know, so, you, um,
1: so you've turned back, you've found the fountain of youth.
0: Well, that would be nice. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so I take it you've gotten to know Yvonne pretty well over the, the past few years. How, how would you uh, describe her?
0: She treats all of her patients like we are her family members. I have. She's the only physician I've ever had who gives everybody a really big warm hug when she walks in the room to I, see I've you. heard she's a hugger. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and through setting up the amyloidosis clinic, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in just a minute, it's, um, I see all of the doctors, and I really feel like I'm part of a community. It's, it's really been amazing. Before the clinic opened, um, on my chart, I have probably 20, 25 physicians listed that I've seen over the years. Um, now, instead of running around campus or to the other satellite locations We just go to um, the James and the doctors come to us. And it's been, it's just that part has just changed my life dramatically too.
1: Yeah, that's a great point that we didn't talk about before that by having a clinic that means every resource that a patient with amyloidosis needs is there in one setting, Mm -hmm. one physical location, and they don't have to, and they can just come and get everything they need.
2: So, you know, because amyloid affects so many organs, um patient, um, you know, um, goes to see a cardiologist, a neurologist, a kidney doctor, a, uh, a hematologist. So I, I formed this uh, comprehensive clinic. You know, there are cardiologists who are interested in amyloid. We've gotten to know, you know, I got them interested in amyloid <laughs> and the kidney doctors, you know, and um, and neurologists and, of course, hematologists and physical therapy because Amyloid affect the muscles, and you you know physically patients can start out with being strong, and six years later, they're on a wheelchair. They can't even get up, you know. and you you see that uh, you see that trend. So physical therapy is an is an important part. And now we have in family members um, because now we have free testing that can be done actually. We have kids where patients um, you know um, family members who want to get tested. Who think they are having symptoms but want to know if they're affected? Um, we, um, you know, we have the um, the swab where they can um, actually um, swab their saliva and send it directly to the um, to the lab that does it, and it's free of um, free of charge.
1: Well, wow, um, that's great, and you mm-hmm. can you can uh, diagnose it in a lot of people. Right? How are there any other amyloidosis clinics like this in in the country?
2: Um, not in uh, in Ohio. There are probably maybe four in the In the, in country, the entire country. In the entire country. Um, we are the only one in uh, in Ohio. Uh,
1: Yvonne, if anyone wants more information or perhaps has a family history that makes them think that perhaps they could have this, how can they contact you?
2: So, um, you know, the good thing is we're on the website. So you can just uh, Google the uh, Comprehensive Amyloidosis Clinic, Ohio State University. And it will come up.
1: Well, thank you both for sharing your stories, for sharing all this information about this this rare disease, and and the great work you're doing in the in the clinic. And and Pat, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. That that it's it's kind of heartwarming to hear your story and that you're doing so well.
0: Great, thank you, Steve.
1: And thank you, Yvonne.
0: Thank you.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Soloff Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.